Hello everybody, I am Matt and welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. And today we're going to talk about one-shots. And I have with me uh, some very special guests from the Double DM pod. They're going to be here today to talk about one-shots. And you guys should also check out their podcast, which is very similar to Roleplay Chat, where they do deep dives on all kinds of RPG topics. So I'll, I'll, without further ado, I'll let them introduce themselves and then we'll get on with today's show. Hello, I'm Emil from Double DM Pod. Like introduced, we do deep dives on any topic TTRPG related, be it meta, roleplay, mechanical, or anything in between. Uh, and I'm Niels. I'm also with Double DM Podcast, obviously. And Emil and I, we're both from Germany. We've known each other since or for many years, play together a lot, and shared stories and tips from our DMing experiences with each other. And from that came this podcast we are hosting right now. Awesome. Yeah. So do you guys want to want to talk a little bit about about your uh, your tabletop RPG experiences really quick, the Sparks Notes version of, of where you guys started, um, what you're playing now? Okay, I will start. Um, the thing is, for me, I started in eighth grade on a school trip. We were on a school trip, on a week-long school trip to somewhere in Germany. And a friend said, when my father plays this game with me, how about we play that in the evenings when we have free time on the school trip? And we were like, well, yeah, sure, why not? And yeah, that's the first time I got introduced to the to a very crude version of The Dark Eye, a German role-playing game. When we came back, the father of my friend invited us to actually play a campaign. We are still playing that campaign today. <laughs> that's awesome. We, I love it when they go forever. Like Yeah, it's I think I'm in my year 9 or 8 right now of TTRPG playing in general, and that campaign itself. We started in August somewhere, somewhere, and yeah, I've learned a lot since then. I, I've gone, gone from 8th grade to nearly finishing my, my bachelor's degree in university now. So yeah, I've grown a lot as a person, and I think a lot of that is through TTRPGs as well. Awesome, awesome. How about you, Nils? Uh, yeah, I started in, I think, 2014, it would be, through a live stream from a German online TV channel. Uh, the Rocket Beans uh, played one game they invented, or a rule set they created, and I would uh, love to try it, so I had to DM it the first time, because nobody on my, of my friends actually played TTRPGs in the first place, knew how to play them, or anything like this. So yeah, I'm playing since 2014, and DMing ever since, basically. But yeah, as you can imagine, over the years, my style has changed a lot, added to it, and yeah, that's me. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, I guess... It it should I should give myself a little intro too because we're I think we're going to be swapping audio right so so for the for the double DM pod listeners I'm Matt probably heard me last week and and for the role play chat listeners you probably heard the double DM guys uh, last week as well but um 
at, at, a, at the risk of repeating myself, I also have been a game master for quite some time. I started in university when I was about, when did I graduate university? I guess like seven or eight years ago now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Anyway, I, I started playing uh, 3.5, D&D 3.5, and have been playing every edition since. Play some, some Pathfinder, first and second edition, uh, Warhammer, uh, first and second edition, and the Faiths system are systems that I really like playing with. Playing with. Um, yeah, so like I said, today we're going to talk about one-shots, and I have a very, you know, one-shots have a very near and dear place in my heart, because as a parent of two children, I now very rarely have time to commit to a long-haul campaign, uh, so I get my itch of game mastering with I mean, I probably w run as many one-shots as I would if I was running a regular campaign at this point, but um, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so yeah, one-shots. I guess we'll we'll follow the typical roleplay chat formula of, you know, explaining what we, as game masters and as a panel, you know, what we think a one-shot is. I think it's pretty straightforward, but you never know. Sometimes people have interesting thoughts. So I'll I'll pass the the microphone on to one of you two. I'll I'll let you guys pick, and uh, we'll start with creating like a a common definition of what a one shot is to us. It's do you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, for me, a one shot would be a single session of a any TPR, any TTRPG you would like to run in a confined time frame. Something like this, yeah. Confine, a confined time frame and one session only would be my definition of a one shot. Okay, awesome. I'm yeah, nearly the same, but in a few key points different than Niels because for me, a one shot is a single contained adventure. That could be because that is you, for example, meet in a town, get a quest, finish that quest. That's the one shot. However long that takes the group. Now, if the quest obviously becomes at level one, kill the big bad dragon that is challenge rating 24, then okay, yeah, that's a campaign. But generally, anything that can be finished in one, two, or maybe even three sessions of time, maybe if the group is very roleplay heavy, they might not get a, get a lot of progress in the dungeon. So. Yeah, I don't think I can really say that it's just one session for me. That's super cool. So so for you, you could still call it a one-shot if it lasts three nights. Yeah. That's that's neat. Okay, so maybe we can dissect a little bit about why you think that. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll, I think I'm on the Nils camp of what a one-shot is. It just, just from my experiences, I, I really like it to be self-contained. Everything in the game occurs in one evening, you know, usually three to five hours worth of play that's it that's all and and th there's some I, I guess to add some flavor that's maybe a little bit more personal to me i i especially like one shots that don't necessarily need to be isolated right so it can be a self-contained adventure that happens in one night but maybe they're with recurring characters. Maybe they're with characters from an ongoing campaign and you're doing like a filler episode or a, like a weird time shift where you're exploring an alternate reality or something like that. So, and, and, I, and I know, Nils, that your definition didn't necessarily exclude that, but I'm, I'm just kind of adding on to that. You know, a, a one-shot 
in its purest form is one evening of play, beginning, middle, and end that happens in one sitting. But the characters or progress based off of that can definitely bleed into other things. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So are, are we happy with kind of our communal understanding of what a one shot is? I think people listening will also have a pretty good understanding. <laughs> I mean, for me, the thing becomes, I think, I don't know. Let me ask you, how long have your average sessions always been? Uh, like in a, in a recurring game? Anything. In a one-shot or a recurring campaign, anything. Usually it's from like about 8 o'clock to midnight. That's kind of the... So that's 8 a.m.? No, 8, 8 p.m. to midnight. <laughs> so, so about, uh, about four okay. or five hours, something like this, yeah. Nils? Yeah, for me, it's been about oh, for about three to six, and in rare occasions, even ten plus hours. See, but in general, three occasions. to six. These rare occasions, when you were a player in those, who has run those? Yeah, you did. See, <laughs> you did. That's the problem. I come from a from a from a table. The, the this game yeah. I started with. The game sessions lasted sixteen hours. Every single month or every two months, we played 16 hours. Not co in a continuous sit sitting, but we mostly played like 10 hours, slept for like seven, and then we played the next five to six hours again and on the next day. Yeah. That was wow. because we were all in high school. We all had the luxury of not having anything to do on a Saturday and Sunday. And the father of my friend, who was the only working adult at that time, had no problem with be that being his whole free time of the whole weekend. So, yeah, that's where I come from. And then when we all went to college, we had to change because oh, suddenly every one of us had college classes, work, other mm -hmm. obligations like a girlfriend or something, sports, and... Yeah, and then it became, okay, well, we can only play four hours. And when we had one-shots, we also had the 16-hour session format. We met up for a whole weekend and played. And that's all we did on that weekend, mostly. And that's why I think when we, when we talk about one-shot sessions, I always think of the four-hour session that everybody knows, even though that's not a session necessarily for me. Because in those 16 hours, yes, we finished the whole adventure. But in the four hours, my group gets problematic with that. We are still trying to find a good way to, in, in four hours to actually finish an adventure. Because maybe the better definition for me would be even to have something that has a start, a middle part, and an end to it. Mm -hmm. So that it's a self-contained, again, self-contained in the meaning of it has something somewhere starting and it has somewhere to end. It just doesn't end in nothingness. because. I hate it when something doesn't end. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's got to have a start, a beginning, and end. Like, that's... I, I feel like, at, at least for me anyway, the use of a one-shot is to scratch the itch of playing the game. And if and like you said, Emil, if, if you don't end the game, why did you do it? Like, <laughs> you're, mm -hmm. you're running this... this it's basically half, half a one-shot, or half a session, or half a game. Um, but... I, I, I really like your experience about saying, you know, you play these really long-haul sessions, so maybe our definition of a one-shot ought to have 
a legitimate time restriction. You know, a game with a beginning, middle, and end that finishes in four hours or something like this, or or, or, or maximum of five hours of of like IRL playtime. But mm-hmm. yeah, cool, cool. So I I guess maybe from there I'll I'll segue to what kind of things you guys like seeing in a one shot like you know, maybe your favorite experience playing a one shot or your favorite experience running a one shot so something that really stands out to you and then we can kind of use that for fuel for our conversation is there something that comes to mind um to either of you yes instantly the best one shot i ever played in was a one shot in the smurf role playing game <laughs> And that I didn't is because know that existed. Yeah, nobody does. Okay, <laughs> but it does. At least in German, it does. And the thing is, a friend of mine wanted to run this for like five years, and we never got to. And then she finally said, "Hey, I'm running this," and I'm like, "Okay, I'm a part of this." And a few other friends were part of it, and we played, and we all created Smurfs. And Smurfs are very simple characters you could say they are mostly the personification of one character trait and only one character trait they have a name they are blue they have pants and they have a character trait that's nothing makes else. for good content for a one shot it's yeah. sweet it's simple it's to the point and my character my character's name is basically the best way you can get all of those those things into one his name was crazy <laughs> <laughs> I played, I played a crazy old smurf that threw bombs around. And that was basically... Well, not bombs around, but had, but basically just made uh, C4 and other explosives. Yeah, Dino. And, nice. <laughs> and, and, and that created such a fun character because I didn't have to do any work beforehand in, in reading into a setting or getting myself into a character because I just went there and like, Well, I'm crazy now! <laughs> and that was the character and that was the best experience I ever had playing in one I have to say even though I've, ha- I've had tons of other one shots I really loved this was so simple and it was such a great experience just because of that you know I, I actually think that is such a fantastic embodiment of a one shot you're totally right like a simple character like that would it kind of be boring to play, I think, in a long-running game, right? Like, if you had to play this guy or girl or Smurf, I guess, for 15 games running, you'd be bored three games in, max. But mm-hmm. the one-shot allows this, like, really interesting ecosystem where you can play a, such a unidimensional character and have a blast. And, like, if anything, that was probably to the benefit of the one-shot, right? Like... It, it it you were able whoever were you run i guess you weren't running this game someone else was running it for you mm-hmm. but like i'm sure it allowed them to keep the pace of the game like to their um they they could stay on track of time like you know you had simple characters with simple objectives N- not to like belittle that but it helps when something is simple to keep like to keep the clock in mind you yeah. know what i mean um yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> the thing about it is that it was her first time, no, her second time DMing something, but the first time DMing this uh, this group and generally really trying to DM good. I know she's listening and I know that 
I'm just now belittling your first one shot, but let's face it, that one wasn't really good. But that's okay, it's a learning experience. But the second one was, I, ha I had a tons of fun, and it was great. And she, she, she made it, yeah, we had simple characters, every one of us had simple characters, and it made for very simple characters to get on track and create a very linear story that we can all play through and have fun, and that is all we wanted from this game. Yeah, and that's what I, I think that's a fantastic way to run a one shot. Make it simple, simple characters, linear game. Maybe linear, uh, maybe I have something to think about that, something to say about that. But it's definitely not out of the question to run a linear one shot. You know, everyone's on the same page. They know that they're coming to play for a short period of time. So you kind of, there's like this buy in to being significantly more railroaded than in a sandbox adventure. You know what I mean? Um, Cool, cool. How about you, Nils? What what was one of your uh, favorite one shot experiences? Uh, probably the one shot that turned right now into a sort of mini campaign series because we wanted to play just one session, but now we are facing the fourth session already because it mm -hmm. just keeps dragging on and we do crazy shit and then some other crazy shit happens and then <laughs> and so on and so forth as stuff does. Um, because it's the first real one-shot I'm playing in, uh, the other one-shots I always or normally DM'd, and now the first time playing actually in a one-shot is, it is different from, uh, from coming from a campaign. I had yeah, to switch yeah, yeah. my mindset a lot, and another player is also a forever dm in this one shot and so we just went on uh, went off in different directions what we usually would do in a campaign but can't really do that well in a one shot that's something i have to learn or have to think about when we play but yeah that's mostly that's the awesome. most memorable one shot i played in what what about games that you've run like do you, do you have a one shot that you ran that you're like really proud of uh, yeah, I ran a one-shot that sparked the idea for another campaign. I talked about it on our show once. It was an introduction one-shot for new players in into uh, Dungeons & Dragons, it was. And I wanted to use an iconic monster, an iconic enemy, but not using dragons, because that would be too cliche. So I started to rummage through the monster manual and found the Beholder, because I think... The Beholder is pretty iconic, but not too overused in public media. Mm -hmm. For it sure. turns out the total par uh, the party was completely wiped. Two were turned into <laughs> zombies, one were turned into a, a stone statue, and one was turned into dust. But now we have an uh, incentive for other adventurers to free the land of the now ruling death tyrant. That's awesome. You know, and, and it's actually awesome that you talk about having characters die in a one-shot. I, I feel like when I play in a one-shot, I have so much less attachment to my character because I've only just, you know, created them a couple of days before the game or was given the character that same night and they were like, the, the game master was like, okay, this is your character. Have fun with it. So it, it you kind of end up doing a lot more wacky stuff, be, taking like big risks Sometimes they pay off, and it creates a, a fantastically dramatic moment in the game. Other times, you have a t like a total party kill, and nobody's too upset about it because it hasn't been their character for five years or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, 
Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. That's nice. I also have a one-shot I ran that I talked about in the one-shot episode, I think, because that one, that one-shot was called Mystery in Shawmore Bay. And that came from an idea that I was on, on, a, on a big Nancy Drew hype, mm. the, the, the novels, and even the TV series, I watched that too. And I was like, well, I want to do that. So how do I, how do I make, how do I get a teen sleuth horror game going, right? And then I was like, okay, which systems can I use? And I found the bubble gumshoe system. And now people can maybe see what I do with one shots most of the time, because I never play the systems I normally would play, which are D&D, the Dark Eye, or maybe other ones like the Witcher game that we've run the campaign in. But those systems I won't use for a one-shot because mm. I think one-shots are great to test new stuff that goes for players in player characters and for DMs in systems or DM styles. But that game was... That game, I think that game was my masterpiece. That, that piece, the resistance, that... I don't think I've run anything better at that time until now. And... That was because I set up everything. I made so <laughs> m I, I, and it was a session that went 16 hours, but we, we, we were clear about that at the beginning. We, we said, no, we don't want like four hours or something. We, we were longer. And I know that, that we said that that may not, may not even be a one shot anymore, but generally it was a very fun evening that I had planned out a lot of stuff for, and I presented them with so many horrible cosmic horror choices and moral questions that they actually went home thinking fuck yeah nothing bad happened but fuck <laughs> and it was so good that my players asked me for installment two and three so yeah we're doing that now so that's great I love it when people come, they're like, more, please. And you're like, yeah. yes, that's exactly the reaction I was hoping for. But you, you touched on a couple things that I think are, are really interesting. Um, and actually, I want to talk about today, today in this discussion is prepping for a one-shot. And, and yeah, I know a 16 game is not, it's not the same as a four-hour game, but I, I have a tendency to do the same thing. When, I, when I'm planning a one-shot, I tend to go a little bit deeper into my planning so that I have more of the things figured out. And I, and I think that that's maybe um, a stereotype that people have. Like People have this presumption that a one-shot is something easy to do. It's one night. It's going to happen quickly. But it's, it's the polar opposite. You know, in my experience, running a one-shot is far more time-consuming to plan for than something ongoing. Because when it's, when it's a one-shot, you have to worry about at least from my perspective, I worry so much about making the experience so condensed that you got to have everything in it, right? You got to have a little bit of role play. You got to have a, a, an interesting dynamic combat. You got to have some fun exploration, sleuth type activities so that you really touch on everything that a system has to offer and to make that all. Uh, what's the word like uniform and 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 feel natural it's so much work so i'm I'm really happy to hear you say that um, that you do that too because when i'm planning a one shot yeah i go in like every nook and cranny of the map or of the of the environment that i'm putting my players in 
and like I go ham. Like I I I just I get I plan way too much. I guess the benefit there though is you can then reuse it, right? You can just reuse one shots over and over again with different audiences, which can be fun. But um, are 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 you like this too, Nils, or are you gonna say that we're crazy and that you just when you run a one shot, it's uh, the opposite? Well, I can agree to ninety nine percent. I think because if I completely think about the one shot on my own without any little uh, ideas or help from others, it is exactly like you say, like 100% and even write most of the dialogue that NPCs start, write mm -hmm. it out in sentences, which I then can read out loud or paraphrase in different ways. And sometimes even uh, search out music or perfect pictures, sometimes even draw them or draw items that they can find and stuff like that. But yeah, most of the time it is exactly like you described. Over prepping I, I, I and yeah, just mania of paperwork and notes. And then you are in a session and can't find the right note and have to rifle through every freaking page you have uh, on your <laughs> desktop right there. But you, you did touch on something interesting there. Um, you're right. There is a lot of prepared content for one shots. Yeah. Um, so absolutely I, I i'm not a big fan of that i like the creative process but by no means am i diminishing people who use pre-made content there's so many awesome modules out there and there's so many independent creators that make and publish like compendiums of one shots um so yeah that's that's one way to cut down on your prep time so if you're listening and you're like i hate one shots because they take too long to prep go buy on the dms guild like a three dollar <laughs> or pay pay what you want uh compendium of one shots and i'm sure i'm sure you'll have a fun time with that um, yeah i i believe that a, a lot for one shots there is well there isn't a, a formula to prepping them but matt you touched on that that you basically need to have a little bit of everything because for example if you're running dnd dnd is supposed to run on three pillars social combat and exploration so if you want to run a D&D one-shot and you have these three pillars in mind, I would suggest touching on every one of those three pillars at least once, maybe twice, depending on what your, what your group is. If, if the group is very good at social encounters, maybe throw two in, just so they don't rush through the encounters too quickly. But generally, you need to have all of those, so you can convey the experience best as possible, I would say. Like, it's not like you need to put on a good show, but you, if you botch the combat and, and don't have a combat in your, in your one shot, and you have especially newer players at your table, they will maybe go, go home thinking, well, this game isn't even combat, and I like, I like fighting in video games, for example. Why can't I do that in that game? Then yeah. you kind of forgot a big pillar of the actual game. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's really good advice, right? When you're prepping a one-shot, think of think of the different activities, think of the different things. It, it, and if it's a new system, right, I, I t tend to use one-shots a similar way as you do, Emil, that you, I, you know, I take a one-shot and I take a system that I'm like, I want to play around with this, let's try a new thing. But then you might not be as familiar with what the pillars are. But m my kind of strategy for that is I usually think of, okay, what kind of characters might we have in the party 
And how do I make each of those characters shine? G give each of the three or four or five people at your table a moment where them and them alone can do this, like, you know, Oscar-winning moment. Whether it's combat and they, they hold the line, whether it's um, investigative work to solve a mystery or whatever, you, you know, using the skill tree of the characters based on that system, it's a good, it's a good indication to try and, and, and create uh, different activities in your game that will address the pillars of that system. Because, yeah, if, if it's a new system to you, you might not be super familiar with that kind of thing. If it's D&D, &D, yeah, the three pillars, that's a, 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 almost a surefire recipe for success. Yeah. Um, and I think, Matt, you touched on a really interesting thing there, or a really tough challenge for me, especially when I plan one-shots, is to make everyone shine within this confined uh, time. Because in a, uh, in a campaign, you don't have really have much trouble about this. You can make one, shine one, uh, one character in one session and the next one in the second arc or something like that. But you have to kind of compress all these moments into one session or into one adventure. And I think that's especially hard, uh, especially for newer DMs, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, my advice for that would probably be let your players make characters before the one shot itself. Yeah, because that's a big thing too. Because because I've been part of some uh, groups where people tell you that creating characters at the table is better. And I'm like, for campaigns, yes. When I play a campaign, I always tell my players, don't create a character. Don't even think about the character concept too much before we meet up for session zero or session one or whatever you want to call it. But in a one shot, I want I, I hand them the system as soon as I know we will play that one shot with that group and say, go about creating characters. If you have any questions, ask me. I am always ready for character creation sessions if you want those. If you if a player wants to call me on Discord like five weeks before we plan before we actually play the one shot or two days or whatever, I'm always up for that and say, okay, let's do that. Then I can learn about the character and the system itself. It, it mm -hmm. works. I can learn what they are creating. But the thing is, as soon as I have the characters for the one shot, I can, I, m I might have already a construct prepared, for example, for one of the one shots I had. I had like, okay, I want them to meet, to go through a jungle. So the jungle concept was there. And then, the, then they had, then they handed me characters. And I was like, okay, let's look at what these characters can do. What challenges will I present to them? that they can. And for that, I look at the character sheet. And even before I get the characters, I can look at the character sheet and prepare the game around those challenges, right? Because the only thing your players can roll on is on the character sheet after all. So that's the only thing that they will start thinking about doing. If there isn't a skill that is meant to represent bashing indoors, there won't be someone that does that. So. Mm -hmm. I won't create a challenge about bashing indoors because that's no, nothing where someone can shine. That's either either the game says you do that narratively and just someone does it, or the game doesn't even have rules for that. And then I'm like, well, then I can't create a challenge about it. So why would I create a challenge about it? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that that's... And I like that you talk about character creation. I, I take a slightly different approach, though. I, especially recently... I've actually taken it upon myself 
to create characters for my one-shots. And, and part of the reason why I do this, I, I know it's maybe quote-unquote controversial, because I know a lot of players, when they play games, part of their fun is creating characters. Part of their fun is, is curating the, the, like, the vessel that they're going to be traveling through the one-shot with. But the, the reason why I really like creating characters for my one-shots ahead of time is because I can make them... I can really make them super relevant, right? I, I can make sure that, okay, there's going to be a challenge in this that's very stealth-based. There's going to be a stealth... Like, I'm going to put in a character who's going to succeed at stealth. Um, I can also make them have the uh, narrative back... The narrative baggage in the character sheet that's relevant to the game so that roleplay can be fun, right? You, you can still create and curate dramatic roleplay moments by seeding in things into these one-shot characters uh, that m maybe, you know, you're going off to save a family member or you're, you're, you're seeing your, your, your local village being burnt down and you've got to run in and collect the, you know, the, the staff that the, the, the clergyman keeps and it's like the symbol of your whole town. So, so adding in these really strong links to the, to the one-shot you're playing is is going to be really important. Sorry for those of you listening. You might be hearing a bunch of pinging. One of my friends is is like sending me direct messages. I should like put myself on do not disturb mode or something. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, so so back to back to my my position is create the characters first uh, because you can make them as relevant as needed to give them the time, like give them the spotlight because you have them created. I'll, I'll usually do like let's say there's x players in the party i'll do like x plus two characters and then i'll put them all on the table and say okay you know have at it take five minutes to pick which character you want um mm -hmm. part of the reason i do this too is because i've allowed my players to create characters the night of the one shot and that always went horribly wrong and the one shot became a three shot or a two shot because it took yeah. us an hour to you know finalize the characters so that that's anyway that's where i come that's my position on on characters um yeah for for pre-made characters i i'm always like yes they are great for all the reasons you mentioned and i've used pre-made characters for my best one shot my best session i ever ran as well there i use pre-made characters i said because the bubble gumshoe system I don't know if it's all the gumshoe systems, but the bubble gumshoe system itself says that there is that there there is a skill group which are basically like the core skills of a sleuth game, which are like perception or clue finding, yeah. um, running away or or whatever skills. Th those were like five skills or, or six skills, and all of those skills you don't roll on them. They are just they just happen if your players have them. So the problem mm. with that is that if none of them has that skill, the skill is you remove. Doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. So I needed to make sure that they all, that every one of those six skills was put into the game, and everyone had at least one of them, and they didn't have the same one because when I, I know my players, I know all five of those players that played that night. If I would have let them create characters on their own, and even said, hey, you have these, these skills, you need to have all of those communicate with each other, 
they would have communicated in a way like, well, I take this. Well, no, I want to take this. Well, we both take it. And then I'm like, yeah, well, you know that that's not how this is supposed to work. And all five players have perception and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I... Quick tangent. I hate that perception is a kitchen sink for a lot mm, of people. That's, that's fair. No, Nearly yeah. everyone takes perception proficiency in D&D or skills that skill because it is so useful. And I can't blame him. I can't blame the DMs that use it often because when the players mm. ask, what do I see? The first question becomes, well, what do you see? And, but I don't know if, this, if it's a game design problem, if it's just my perception of the skill or something, but it's always bugged me that it feels like it's so much more valuable than other skills, like a skill that's only meant for disguising yourself, which only comes up in a very specific set of scenes. My perception can be used in every single scene that I can think of. Yeah, no, that's a super good point. Um, and I and I agree with you. It's 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 not great, but I think you have to. My house rule for whenever I'm playing D and D or running a game of D and D is that perception tends to be. Uh, generally, like, weak, unless you're very specific about what it is you're trying to perceive, if that makes any sense. So if, if you're just saying, I walk into the room, what do I see? You're not going to get a very, like, you're going to have to roll inc extraordinarily well just to see something average. But if you say, I investigate this statue and, like, look for buttons on the statue, okay, well then maybe your perception mm -hmm. roll is going to be, is going to be a little bit more warranted. Um... But that's a super cool system. I've never heard of the bubblegum shoe system. And that is so cool that there are, quote-unquote, like, mandatory skills. Because that also enables each character to have their own moment of spotlight. Because each of them, like, you, like if you divide those six skills in your bubblegum shoe game between the four or five players, you're guaranteeing that each character is going to have a moment where they're the only ones that can do something. Which is, I, that, that's neat. That's really neat. I might go check that out another time. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very simple narrative system because you don't roll on many skills. Just, yeah. a few, just a few other normal skills, but there are a few skills you don't roll on and they just happen because that's how the game is supposed to work. You're always supposed to find the clues you need to finish to, to solve the mystery. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Niels, do you have anything on character creation? Mm. I like to go as wild as I can when I create characters for one-shots because I like to use one-shots as opportunities to try stuff, like weird class combinations or item combinations, spell effect combinations, stuff like that, or as a DM, use new monsters I found online or made myself or haven't used yet or all that kind of thing. I like to go wild in these uh, is there a regards. is there a monster that you've run recently that uh you're like everybody's gotta use this now in their next game i'm about to run next uh, coming sunday with a tlinkali i think it is called in D D. it is some sort of eight-legged two-armed scorpion human insect hybrid thing with a greatsword in one hand and a paralyzing stinger on the back, and it's kind of weird, but... Yeah, sounds uh, sounds interesting. And sounds a lot. It, 
And it's interesting because it has a climbing and a burrowing speed, if I remember correctly. So they can grab someone, climb to the ceiling, throw them to the in the floor, and then just disappear in the, into the wall. It's just those things kind of get overlooked often, and I like to use these lesser-known monsters a lot because then my players, even if they don't want to, they cannot meta game because they don't they have never heard of this, of this stat block before. That's cool. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. All right, sweet. I, I, I'll maybe take us in a completely different direction unless you guys want to keep talking about character creation and monsters and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change gears real quick and talk a little bit about pacing. Um, and we also got some questions about that on Twitter. So I'm going to read out a couple questions. There, there, there's two that are pretty similar, but I think that uh, will be good fuel for our conversation. And they relate to pacing. So... How do you keep so uh, a little ghost with satire horns? So at a ghostofeli, uh, they say Eli. How... Eli, it's a friend of ours. Oh, go a ghost of Eli. Okay, thank you. That makes sense. They they ask how do you keep pacing that allows everything that you want to happen without feeling forced or rushed? And then somebody else asks a similar question, where uh, pod of blunders at pot of blunders they asked any tips or tricks for pacing if you only have a set amount of time to get through your one shot so i you know if i boil these two questions down to to kind of one common theme is it's how, how do you make sure that you get through your one shot on time um without feeling forced or rushed so i guess i'll i'll throw the question out into the open and see what you guys have to say and i'll, I'll also take some time to think and answer i instantly have one thing and that's i think the co most common mistake i see or that i at least did for one shots was letting the party meet each other because when you start a one shot and you only have four hours and the hour starts with well you meet in a tavern and we talked about this last week that the tavern start is great and it is mm -hmm. but if not for one shots <laughs> yeah but the thing is, then again, you have the you scatter all your five players or four players in the in the tavern, and there are two NPCs. And then you say, "Well, what do you guys do?" And then they are like, "Okay, well, why am I in this tavern? Well, you are here for the night. Okay, I'm here for the night. What do I do now?" And and then okay, I go to bed. And then yeah, they have this problem. If they 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 either need to meet each other quickly, or they need to know each other beforehand. For example. One one-shot I ran, which was a D&D one-shot to, to introduce a few players to D&D, was they all arrived per ship to a city on the same ship, but they didn't know each other. Well, except for one that arrived per city gate. And the thing was that the night before us, someone was killed in the harbor. And the mayor of that town just basically shut down the whole town and said everyone that looks like an adventurer is looking for work or whatever is instantly brought to the castle to me so I can task them with finding out who in my who in my personal staff who out of my trusted advisors is betraying me because it was kind of obvious that one of the people close to the mayor betrayed him and that way I brought them basically in the first 20 minutes together to one common objective and that was the most important part. I need a, you need a common objective. 
the common theme that gets them to the goal you actually want them to have. That's the best thing that cuts down a lot of the beginning times of, um, well, what are we going to do now? Hmm. Hmm. If you give them a very clear goal of what they're supposed to do and that they're supposed to do it together or that they have to do it together, then they will do that because, first of all, players are not dumb. They will then, most of the time, if they're not assholes, will go that way together. And... Well, especially in a one-shot, right? Like, there's this common understanding that we're going to stick to the the objective that's presented to us because otherwise why are you playing a one shot like <laughs> that makes sense but yeah no sorry to interrupt keep going if you had if you had more to say um and the second thing is and i know a lot of people don't want to hear this but railroad don't you don't need railroading is not bad it's it's bad if you abuse it to make your players feel like they're just experiencing your game. If you make sure they stay on track, make sure they don't go off on tangents, make sure they don't do something weird or bad even to the story, then you're probably gonna finish in time. It sounds, it sounds very bad because the DM basically shuts down doors that they are not supposed to shut down. And I'm like, well, don't make the doors, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need to present an option for them to, to go to somewhere where they're not supposed to go. Just don't present the option. Most of the time, they won't even start to think about that option then. Um, there's, like, the thing is about invisible walls. You need to know when to place invisible walls, where you, where you, where you can place them without, without making the game actually feel constraining to them. And a lot of people say that that's already way too much. I'm doing my players a disservice. I've been insulted for that take a lot of times already. And I was like, well, I don't care. No, I agree it's with It's how that. I make sure. Yeah, and, and I think there's this common misconception, right? That railroading means you remove your player's agency in the game. I, I think that's, that's, uh, that's not true. You, you can still direct the game in a certain direction, but allow players to have you know allow them to be creative in their solutions allow them to tackle problems how they want to but don't go presenting them problems that don't relate directly to the narrative that you're telling in the in the one shot you know the one shot has to be so like this micro environment that's so specific about the objective that's been presented in the first 10 minutes of the game and and the, and the desired outcome because if you present anything outside of that, then yeah, you're gonna have a hard time sticking to your sticking to your timelines. Um, how about how about you, Nils? Did you have uh, things? Yeah, about I have uh, something I uh, usually like to put in points of no return uh, for pacing because I like to present a choice to my players, and they the choice matters leads to different things. But when they make a choice, they cannot come back for. A simple example, they are in a cavern and the way splits left and right. They go the left route. After that, stones fall down and block off the uh, tunnel. So even if they are not happy in the uh, uh, after they made the choice, they've made the choice and they have to stick with mm. it. That just keeps them uh, thinking forward and not what if we went the other way. So this helps keep helps to keep the pace a bit more focus oriented or forward oriented for the players mindsets that's, that's really cool 
I like that a lot. And you don't have to use, or I don't uh, just use physical blockings or, or blockades, but mental or other things as well. Like if you have a choice between two NPCs for uh, to which one you go for help, the other one may be insulted that you don't uh, didn't choose him and then just blocks off any conversation regarding that topic with them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something, I mean, I really like the way you presented that. I never thought of it in that lens before, but I've done something similar that I really like doing where it's you make time specific events. So there's a, there's a party or there's a social gathering or there's a feast and there are elements of the, of the game that are locked into that event. And then when that event is done as a game master, you push it along and the, the feast is over. And if you didn't, uh, if you didn't interact with the right things, you're missing that information, just no going back. So that's one way that I, I like to lock uh, the decisions. But th I really liked the the analogy you made with the paths. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I also have an advice for players regarding that. If you want to be very, very helpful to your DM in pacing the one-shot, don't create overly complex characters. Like, we said that pre-generated characters are okay, but if your DM says create a character yourself, don't think about it too much. Like again, with my Smurf character, make it simple. Make it a simple character concept. I want to play a big dude. That's a character concept in and of itself. And then you can go, okay, for D&D, I take the Goliath, I take Barbarian, I take mm -hmm. Great Axe, I'm done. And that way, because what I think that slows the game down is... Another thing is, uh, is players trying to hawk spotlight. A player that, when, when, when five people come to a one-shot, four people created very simple characters, very easy, very, hey, I'm a sorcerer that likes fire spells. Well, I'm a wizard who's annoyed by anybody dumber than me. I'm, I'm the barbarian that is dumb and smashes indoors. Yes, I know that's also stereotype, blah, 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 blah. And the thing is, if then a character comes, well, I'm the bard, son of a noble family, uh, exiled by my father for taking too much bread from the pantry or something, you're, you're the outlier in that group. And yes, it may seem that you're the only one that put effort into their character, but you're the one at the end that might even be slowing the game down. Mm. Because if you play your character out at the campfire, then it becomes a lot of well, talking about me, and, and, and that takes time away that the DM never planned for. If you're at the campfire and start talking about yourself, the DM never plans for that. Nils and I were in a one-shot together as players where a friend ran the game. We all created characters, and I would say every one of us created very simple characters. Sure, my character had a few secrets, Nils had a few secrets, and all of them, they all had their stuff. They were, sh they were full made characters, and we were sitting at a campfire once. And we were talking for like 10 minutes, but after those 10 minutes were over as a group, we all more or less agreed that we need to fi go further in the adventure so that we don't drag this out too much at the end. So we all went to bed and then went on with the next day. We could have maybe talked for like 40 minutes longer at that campfire. And that's fine for some groups, but the DM is sitting there and thinking, oh shit, I'm not gonna finish this adventure in time. Yeah, well, and that, and I like that you bring that up, right? It's definitely a player responsibility to keep track of the pace of the game as well. It becomes blurry when it's new players, right? They're still not, they're not used to those responsibilities or they don't know that they have to pay attention to that. Um, 
one one way that I like to kind of prevent those long haul, long winded conversations from happening is being so specific. Like my setup, I, I spend almost as much time thinking about my setup. I, I think I think about my setup of my one shot more than any other part of the one shot. You know, th those first five minutes where the quest is being delivered to the party and the descriptions of the like, the environment the party finds themselves in at the beginning of the one-shot, I think are extremely important. Um, so f when I'm planning a one-shot, it's very common for me to kick them off right in the action. Okay, you're doing a heist to go get, you know, the treasure, the ruby of the king. You're already inside the king's castle. You've made it to the third floor. The king's bedroom is five rooms that way. That's your game. Boom. Like, we're, we're starting in this such a micro environment, and it's so clear that, like, you're, you're on the quest. You're, you can't turn around and go back. You're, you've made it through the guards. You're on the third floor. Have at it. And usually people are going to say, usually people say to me, Matt, that's so, like, five rooms is too short. But no, it's not. The, the, you put in some challenges, you make the rooms big enough with stuff to investigate, people to interact with, you've got four hours of gameplay. Like, players are gonna, players are gonna find the time to fill those five, six rooms of, of gameplay for sure. Um, so, so yeah, I, the way I do it is I start right in the action, usually in, an, in, an, in a space where, like, work has been made. Like, they know their mission, I fast track to like, this is this is your point. Go from there, so you can be like, in on a heist, or halfway through a cave or a dungeon. Um, you know, you're in a you're in a disastrous environment. K kick off like a hot start for your one shot. I find works really well to kind of give the players like the propulsion in the right direction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I also think that there are certain um, certain settings, certain types of quests that lend themselves much better to one shots. Uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of like a lot of sneaking around, a lot of thieves stuff, a lot of heisting, a lot of going to get this one person out of the out of the dungeon or like um what's that word Ho hostage situations where you're trying to go save somebody. Or or destroy something, you know, you know, very singular objectives that are that tend to be like heisty or like a, a kind of a thieves guild type of activity, that kind of thing. So I I, I find that that allows me to keep track of the pace of the game much better when I mm. use a very specific setting or a very specific um, like quest type, if that makes sense. You I don't know if you guys. Yeah, oh, so basically, ahead. not just keeping the characters simple, but the quest line as well. Having some nooks and crannies where you can branch out, yeah, but the overall part not having it too complex. Mm, if I that, understand yeah. you, understand Ex you correctly. Exactly. Very very simple. Even the layout too. Like I really like mm -hmm. making maps of like of a cave system or of a of a of a, a building. And that's the game. Like we're not exploring the town. We're not exploring, a, a, you know, several islands. We are in this space, and I design. I try to design the space to have 
a lot of different branching ways to get to the end objective, right? Like one room, it's not, not one room after another, or it's not a linear cave. There's maybe a, a waterfall with a secret path behind it. And, and so it's, it's kind of like this web where the beginning is one point and then it webs out and then it webs back in to the, to the, to the end point. So it, it kind of has this semblance of, of, being open enough that people can explore this little sandbox how they want to but i'm i'm funneling them back at the end so it's branching out and then branching back in so this it's a simple quest a simple enough space with the different pillars in it um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah especially yeah, yeah. to that i always like to again for pacing the best thing is to start your games with a high like you said maybe in medias res for example what i want to do what what i like to run for one shot for example are monster hunts oh cool that's fun hunt, yeah. ha- hunt a very strong monster that is may- maybe a dragon kill the dragon that is terrorizing the city you arrive in that's a very cool one shot for newer players or even older even veteran players if you put a twist in it but the thing about it is i can start the game very on a very high note for example my players are in a snowed in tavern in the mountains they sit there, they are in a blizzard, and it's dark outside. The You hear the snow falling down onto the roof and uh, pre- uh, yeah, f- just coming down on you. And you're bo- ba- basically staying in this tavern like, for, for the next two days because the snow is too heavy. Mm. And you're all, in, around, the ca- all around in this room. It's, it's cold, but you're all still managing sitting there with your beer or whatever drink you have, any hot drink you have, any last heat that the tavern still has. And then the the door slams open. Someone stumbles in. After three feet, they fall down and you see monster claws on their back. And boom. That's, that's the opening scene. What do you guys do? And then I also have a convenience explanation for why the players are in the tavern. They are there because they want to go somewhere. But the problem is that there's a monster outside. And then I can also tie them into where they need to kill this monster for whatever reason. They, the barkeep says he pay, he's willing to pay them. The, one of them maybe is a monster hunter that is actually been, is here for that monster. And he can maybe convince the rest to help him. But generally it's, I start on a high... And the same goes for the end. If you start and end on a high, it's gonna be fun. It's if you make the start and the end a good action scene, for example, they then you kind of make the middle part, like you said, Matt, branching out. It, it can be a little bit lower. It can it can be slow mm-hmm. and usually exploration based. For me, I, yeah, that's where the exploration comes in in the in the middle part. You know, find the right mm-hmm. way or solve the little mini like the small mystery and then. Exactly. Uh, and then I, then I get back to fight this evil yeti monster in the snow, in its home turf. It's a, it's a gruesome fight, but you manage to win in the end or you lose. You don't have emotional attachment to your character, so it's fine. And yeah, that way it, it works great because, like I said in the beginning, if there is no end to it, I probably won't have a lot of fun with it because it just feels left and it's empty it, it, it doesn't have anything for me mm-hmm. yeah pe- people need to know when the game is done right like it needs to be clear uh i, I guess what what we're getting at and, and, and I, correct me if i'm i'm misinterpreting what you guys are saying but we want it to be super simple objective is simple the characters are simple 
the the space you're exploring has to be simple and the like it has to be clear that when the objective is done or not it's done like it's it it, it and, and there might be ways to make you know morally gray choices so it, you can still have an end case scenario that's like ambiguous but what's ambiguous is not whether or not it's finished you know its finality needs to be clear but whether or not the choice was like the morally correct one or you know that 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 can add some interesting flavor um mm. but yeah I, I guess keep it simple is is the <laughs> yeah but it's so much work to keep it simple right like don't take making a game simple for granted it's it's a lot of work to make a game simple um, and I think simple thing, oh, Nils, it, please. Uh, the simpler you make the game, the more prep or work you have to put in beforehand. It is equivalent, but inverted. If you know, mm -hmm. I can't. Mm -hmm. I don't know the mm -hmm. correct English word, but the more uh, the simpler you want it to be, the more effort you have to put in the prepping uh, phase to make it that simple. Yeah, GTRPGs are very, very, very simply blow up. And that yeah. is in either length or depth or what, whatever dimension you want to go. TTRPGs are very easy because of how they are designed as, as a genre of, of media, you could say, because they allow players to do whatever they want. Yes, but doing whatever you want, that's a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas if you don't put constraints on me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we're running a little bit long. I think we're about at an hour, maybe a little, a little bit over that. So I don't know if you guys have any um, final thoughts about one shots that we didn't get to that we didn't get to touch on, or or little last minute tips or tricks that you're you want to bring up. Um, I guess while you're thinking about it, I'll say one really quick one, and I think that you can spice up your one shot by having props. You, I mean, you can spice up your game by having props, but especially for a one-shot, I, I think that's the time to bring out something fun and engaging. If it's a puzzle that you put out on the table for people to, 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 to you know, manipulate or a nice map that, you know, ha something hand-drawn or something you find on the internet, I, I find that having those physical components to a one-shot, especially when you're introducing the game to new players, makes them go like, oh, wow, that, like... That's what this is all about, and they kind of get excited about it. So that that would be one thing that I would say too: bring in something physical, you know, add in that that extra sensory experience, so that it's not just rolling the dice at the table. I think that a one shot is it's a good forum for that. Um, how about you, you two? Any any other last minute thoughts? I would, thoughts? Uh, I would say don't shy away from creating one shots, even though it might sound like a lot of work. Putting that work in is a lot of fun, at least for me, and the end result will be worth it. Don't shy away from it, just do it. That would be the best tip I could give, probably, overall. I think the best one-shots I've ever been in and ran all had a uniqueness to them. Make your one-shot unique. And this is kind of what Matt said, but maybe a little bit more general. Make it unique. Make it feel like like a difference because then you can draw in newer players with a unique experience that they've never had before in any other media but you can also draw in veteran players that have played D&D &D or whatever TTRPG you want for like 10 years 
through something that they have never seen, never, never done before. Because the thing is, in a campaign that runs for like 50 sessions, 100, or even only 10, they might have had a lot of combat against zombies. So putting zombies in as a simple monster, well, that's not gonna spice things up for you. That's a really good point. Make it different. Make it different from, from, from your usual games for sure. And it's a, it's a time to challenge yourself as a game master, right? Like, try something new. If you screw up, whatever. It's like, you still had a fun time with your friends, drinking, partying, whatever, playing games. It's a good time. Um, cool. All right. Well, so with that, I think that wraps up our conversation about one-shots. I feel like there's still so much to say. Um, one-shots are, are a fun topic to talk about. But anyway, th thanks, guys, for being on the show to talk about one-shots. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you guys wanted to plug, uh, you know, a little bit about your show so that the listeners of Roleplay Chat can, can also come find you. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. My <laughs> Thanks for being on our show as well last week. And yeah, people can find us on nearly every or all of the big podcasting platforms under Double DM. We are two DMs, so Double DM makes sense. And we are found on Twitter and Instagram at Double DM Pod. And yeah, come to us on Twitter. We are active there. We talk a lot about different things, ask questions you can answer, try to make memes and be funny, all of that fun <laughs> stuff. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, you guys should definitely go check them out. They're, they're, they're a great podcast. And if you like what we're doing here at Roleplay Chat, you'll also like the conversations that they're having at Double DM Pod. I, I know there's never enough. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of great actual plays out there but there's not a lot of discussion podcasts out there. I, at least that's my, that's my, um, from what, from my sphere of the Twitterverse, there seems to be far more actual plays than, than discussion pods. So we got to stick together and build from up. Those that I've interacted with, I think it's a five to one ratio or even okay. bigger. Yeah. I have no, some other discussion pods, but yeah, I know yeah, like yeah. 100. <laughs> actual <laughs> plays yeah yeah exactly um and yeah awesome so thanks guys for being on the show uh if you guys wanted to reach out to me you can always do so by contacting me at role underscore play underscore chat or we have an email that's contact role play chat at gmail.com and that's role with an r-o-l-e uh you would also encourage you to you know give us a five star review or a thumbs up or you know regardless of what podcasting platform you're using give us give us that uh give us that love show us show us your love review us if you can it goes a long way to help the show get the word spread out and share the show with your friends and with that i'll thank my guests one last time and call it a chat thank you